I'm Afton. And I'm Anna. And, and this, this is Grits. Join us in reclaiming what it means to be girls raised in the South. Mm-hmm. So let's get gritty. <laughs> All right. So this week on the pod, we're going to get a little swampy. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about Paul Ryan wannabes and their obsession with work requirements. Like, why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to dish up a little Grits gratitude. Mm-hmm. So, Afton, welcome to my closet. Literally. <laughs> Anna and I are currently in her closet because we read and really appreciated the three-star review on our <laughs> on our first <laughs> teaser, and we understand that the sound quality wasn't great, and we are learners, yeah. and we love all of you, and we just want to be better. So, noted, and we're in Anna's closet. So, let's get started. Yeah. So, Afton, can you tell me about uh, your trip to the swamp last week? The swamp was very humid. There was a lot of humidity. That's my go-to joke, apparently, about the swamp. Um, It was pretty good. I haven't seen you since last week, so I haven't really got to talk about it. The conference was amazing. It was the Families USA Conference, which is a national leading healthcare advocacy consumer group that runs this like big, like CrossFit health action, like all the policy nerds on stage and everyone's just like going wild. <laughs> I just sounded like the biggest nerd possible <laughs> on the pod, but that's okay. Um, so my, my best moment um, in the swamp Besides visiting the Capitol for the promo, grits material, you gotta have it, you know. Um, You're welcome. My coworkers and I were sitting at the front, and I strategically did that because I knew exactly where Senator Elizabeth Warren, that's right, she spoke at the luncheon on the second day. I knew she was gonna come in on the side, so I strategically got to the right table. Well, turns out she came on on the other side, but here's (laughs) the deal. Here's the deal. She crossed the stage, and you know when I get really excited and I do that pug dance where I just like, Mm -hmm. we'll we'll post a boomerang of this on our Instagram. (laughs) Yes, we will. Anyway, so you know I get really excited. Yeah. So Elizabeth Warren crossed the stage and saw me, and I was doing my pug dance, and she goes like this. She Ah! did did the pug dance in response, and so Kyla turns to me. She goes, "Afton, Elizabeth Warren just did the pug dance," and I go, "I know. She just." Anyways. Soulmates. My, my heart is beating so fast. Elizabeth Warren, I love you. And if you're listening, <laughs> love you. And the second swampy thing that happened was um, the swamp queen herself, Representative Diane Black, followed me on Twitter. And, you know, I felt validated for the work that I've done the past couple months. And that's a whole other story for another podcast sometime. Anna, you know, those of you out there who know the backstory, we'll give that to you. You know it, and we'll provide the backstory for those who are listening a little later. But anyways, big deal. It was, a you know, so a lot of swamp, a lot of swampiness. The swamp creatures were out rolling around in the mud. You know, I had to take a bunch of showers this week, but I'm back. And I'm back. <laughs> Quick shout out to my, um, the person who accommodated me, my old high school friend, Greer Maccabee. Shout out on the pod. Got saw, I got to see a lot of friends in D.C., um, Rugi and Nick Morrow. So it was great seeing you guys. I promised you a shout out. I'm going to be a little gratuitous with the shout outs this podcast because I may have been a little over aggressive telling people I'd give them shout outs. So <laughs> need to rein that in, reining that in for the next pod. Um, Okay, so to the policy and the people, which is what we pitched to you, we promise we're going to bring it. So here it is. 
All right, so you've probably been hearing or um, reading in the news about work requirements, and Anna's going to kind of walk us through what's been going on about them, what they are, and how they affect um, Tennesseans. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so just a quick disclaimer that I am not an expert. <laughs> and, I think she's an expert. <laughs> and this is going to be the um, 30,000 feet overview of what's going on with work requirements. Uh, So we're specifically talking about Medicaid work requirements. Medicaid, which is a public health insurance program that gives people um, who are low income, mothers, who else, Anna? Yeah, so the Medicaid population varies depending on the state. States that chose not to expand their Medicaid programs under the Affordable Care Act have very limited Medicaid populations that are comprised of uh, people with disabilities, elderly people, children, uh, their direct parent caretaker relatives, and there's categorical eligibility, or it's because um, you fall below a certain income threshold. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. In states that did expand Medicaid, they now have more of what is known as the able body adult population. They fall below a certain income level. Um, so this is really a, a this is a program this is a safety net program um, for people who cannot afford insurance otherwise, whether because they have high medical expenses or they um, fall below a certain income level. Um, okay, so all right, so let's take a step back. So Medicaid is this program that covers a lot of various people in different states, right? Okay. Yes. So the work requirements part, so the what... So in January, the Trump administration, um, through the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, uh, issued a letter to Medicaid directors across the country telling them that they could use 1115 waivers to amend their Medicaid programs to encourage work. Basically, the Trump administration wants people who get public health insurance to work, right? Yes. Okay, and he ordered the people that are in control of these programs to ad- to disseminate letters across to the state, to the directors, to say, guess what, we want you to do this. Yes. Okay, great. And this is completely unprecedented in the Medicaid program. There are other public benefit programs that do have work requirements, but because health insurance is... Um, health insurance and not a direct <laughs> income transfer or anything like that it makes even less sense for these programs to have work requirements. Okay, so they sent out this letter, and then what? What happened after that? They sent out this letter uh, encouraging states to file 1115 waivers, and the next day, Kentucky's waiver was approved. Some states, like Kentucky, expanded Medicaid, which means that they now insure most of their population, right? The yeah. Most of their low income threshold population. Right. Okay. So they so Medicaid is uh, quite an interesting program. <laughs> it's a state federal partnership uh, with the federal government footing most of the bill, and it's really up to the states to design their program. As long as you as long as you satisfy the federal requirements, you really can shape your program however you want. However you want. And with the Affordable Care Act, with the passage of the Affordable Care Act states were given the option to expand their Medicaid coverage with an enhanced federal match. And then the states that didn't want to expand, they filed a lawsuit, and then bam. Now we have this problem where we have states that expanded Medicaid, this public health insurance program, and states that didn't, like Tennessee and a lot of the states in the South. So 
the states that have expanded it now want to implement work requirements. Or, no, all the states. Yeah, there's a combination of states that want to implement work requirements. Some have filed, others are planning, including Tennessee. So how this all got to Tennessee is that our speaker... Everyone, get close to the... Get close... Wait, you're probably wearing this in your head. I mean, you have this... Turn up those headphones. Turn up the the volume, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Yeah, so Tennessee, the Speaker of the House, Beth Harwell, who is running for governor, Mm -hmm. and uh, she filed a bill in our state legislature that called for the TennCare Bureau, which is who administers our Medicaid program here in Tennessee. Oh, side note, all of the states have different names for their their Medicaid programs. Ours is called TennCare in Tennessee. Yeah, so she uh, called for the TennCare Bureau to design reasonable work requirements, direct quote, on <laughs> Thank you. the Thank Medi- you, Beth. Thank you, Beth. <laughs> on the Medicaid population. This was a this bill was about a paragraph long. Um no big and deal. so there's not a lot of guidance on what that will be. At the time of this recording, no state waiver has been approved in a non expansion state like Tennessee. So we don't know what this is gonna look like. But Tennessee is different than Kentucky in that we do not have able-bodied adults without dependents in our Medicaid program. Okay, what does that mean for the people who have no idea what that means? <laughs> what that means is that Tennessee's po- t- Tennessee's TennCare population is limited in the amount of beneficiaries that they could require to work, meaning only the parent, caretakers, and relatives of children 21 and under would be subject to the work requirement. And we know they're not going to subject parents with kids under six. And they and they also have to meet a certain income eligibility as well. It's not just any parent. Okay, so relative. they have to be a specific yeah. demographic and meet the financial, make, make a certain amount of income. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so when you're looking at this Medicaid work requirement, despite all of the um, grand rhetoric and the um, philosophical arguments for the value see, of work. I wish work, you could see Anna's face right now. She is throwing some massive side eye. Okay. Regardless of all those things, if you're looking at a Medicaid requirement and what that would actually practically mean for the Tennessee Medicaid population. Yeah, what would that look like? You're looking at parents, caretakers, and relatives. Okay, so let me get this straight. So so the caretakers of these children are, they receive health insurance through Medicaid. Mm-hmm. And our state legislature now wants to make them work, even though they are caring for their, these kids 24-7. Yeah, and actually, if you look at the data, most of them already work. and Or they're in working families, meaning at least one parent works. I mean, I grew up in a household mm-hmm. where one parent worked. So did I. Yeah, so that that's not an uncommon thing, especially when you look at child care support and transportation issues and so how, I mean, all the how, other complications. But then they have to pay for child care, right? Right, and actually the state Medicaid director letter that CMS sent out stated that you cannot use federal Medicaid dollars for support services for these work requirements. So they're telling them that they have to work and then they're not going to provide them the support they need to actually go to work and do the work. Well, states can, but <laughs> it, basically this is just adding a whole another bureaucratic hoop to the whole process, um, and we already know from our work that TennCare redetermination packets are 100 pages long. So the way, yeah, so the way that um, TennCare 
beneficiaries receive the information? The way to sign up is a what, how many pages packet? Well, first, to sign up, you have to go through healthcare.gov because we so don't you have, have a have, working computer system. So you have to have internet. <laughs> yeah. Or go somewhere. So you have transportation to go to the library to access internet in mm-hmm. order to apply on where? Healthcare.gov, which is the federal marketplace. Okay, so you have to be even internet literate. I mean, that's applying for health insurance. On a, I mean, it's just unreal. It's just a mess. Our 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 state program. I mean, just Google, <laughs> ten care, please, because you will see what a hot mess it is, very quickly. Yeah, and they have a really hard time determining who is eligible for the program or not already. We have been through this for years, trying to get a working computer system going. They don't. I repeat, and I'm doing this really loud with large quotation marks, they don't even have a working computer system. Right. So then they're sending out these packets to families, telling them you must fill this out or else you'll lose your coverage. It's, there's a lot of... There's a lot of bad things about so this. Then, so then they have to be in a stationary place to receive these packets. So I live in East Nashville, and I've received over three to four 10-care packets from previous residents. And I'm just thinking, how do I get... How do I get this information to these people? They're not even here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is how, this is people's livelihoods. Yeah. So you're asking, um, you know, beyond that documentation, you would then be asking for people to prove that they're working or that they're involved in volunteer opportunities. Which don't even get me started on that. I will not. And how that's going to suppress <laughs> wages and cause a lot of problems. But. Uh, they have to have some type of community engagement. So that's the new that's the new term, right? Community engagement. That yeah, means yeah. what for the conservative agenda? Basically, the argument that they make, so so to get around the legal stuff, which I'm not sure that they will, honestly. There's been a federal lawsuit filed against the work requirements and Okay, hold on. Pause. Why have there been lawsuits filed against the work requirements? Because the whole point of the Medicaid program statutorily is to make people healthier and it's really hard to do to modify the program in ways that you cannot prove in, improves the health of the po- the Medicaid population so what they're doing is waiving some of the requirements um, standards for the program so that they can enforce the work requirements by saying that people who work are healthier not the opposite. If you, th- if you think about <laughs> Not it, the if you think about it real, real hard for five oh. seconds, you quickly understand that it's much easier to work when you are healthy already. Right. And if you are not healthy because you don't have health insurance, then it's much harder to work. <sighs> now, how does getting a job make you healthier? Short answer is it doesn't. So there, there is a so definite why, so legal challenge. So why are challenge. they pushing this? Why are the Paul Ryans of the world pushing? They believe that people on these programs should be working. What is driving this? Yeah, I think I think they fundamentally believe that your human value lies in your ability to work. Right. Yeah. What's interesting is that the wealthiest people in our country don't do wage work. No. They have passive they incomes. Off, yeah. They have passive Thank incomes. Thank you. Yeah. And they live like, off their inheritances, their their stock portfolios, and they're just, eat, you know, doing what? They don't have, they are not in the predicament where childcare would cost as much, if not more, than the wages they would earn. So you have people that are pushing this, 
And you consider the wealthy and how they opt out of the system. And, and these are the types of people that are trying to put work requirements on working people. I mean, most of these people work two to three jobs. Like, where? Yeah. how is that fair? So, and yeah, and you hear the argument, well, if they're already working, then, of course, you know, they would still have their coverage. What if they work multiple jobs and they have to get this information from their, um, from their bosses and they have mm. to submit it mm. Mm. and they have to prove every single week. Can you imagine? You can't go two weeks without work or else you get, lose your coverage. Not to mention the incredible administrative burden checking that every single recipient of Medicaid is working, processing all the documents. I mean, someone could definitely be eligible and human error on anyone's part involved, the employer, the recipient, or who's processing the work requirements. There's, pl- there's going to be plenty of people who deserve to have coverage that will not get it. There's also even more to say for people who should be exempt from the work requirements because they cannot work due to their health or being a student or being a caretaker. They sit on pedestals where they think that they are the, you know, I don't know what it is, paternalistic, patriarchal, whatever you want to call it, but they think they know what's best for everyone. And trust me, I think every family is trying their best to make it work for themselves. Absolutely. So that means some parents are in school. That means some parents are the caretaker while the other parent works. Some people have, you know, one child with with higher needs than another child, and they really need to be home. Or they work, but they work 20 hours a week, which would not count under most work like, requirement programs. And I just have an example of that. When I returned home from Switzerland, I spent... My mom My mom is a state-certified apiarist. Shout out, mom. Shout out. Um, Thank you for the gift. Oh, We'll talk about the we'll fan. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, the fan mail. We'll talk about it later. But um, my mom's a, a, a certified state apiarist, which means she she's she inspects beehives um, in East Tennessee. And so we were at a, a bee convention conference in, in rural Tennessee, and there was a gentleman there, and he, you know, he worked at Walmart. And Walmart and these large corporations in these really rural areas, they keep their employees at what the you know the minimum number of hours so they don't have to provide them health insurance. Mm-hmm. So then what did the, what do these you know working low income Tennesseans do is that they have to use Medicaid and some of them can't obtain the coverage because they don't qualify because of the income eligibility, right? Yeah. Well, the fact is less than half of the jobs in Tennessee offer health insurance. So then there's less a- than half of the jobs. Yeah. You know, the gubernatorial forum on healthcare that I talked about in the teaser both of the the Republican candidates, they preach this message of individual responsibility and that employees, that everyone should work and that they should offer health insurance and that these, you know, employers should offer well-based, wellness-based health programs where, you know, they, you know, there's, there's running, there's running challenges or like, you know, good, good, healthy living challenges. And it's like, these are people who are working all the time and are struggling and like are in survival mode. And it's like, how can they even think about these things? I don't know what the obsession with individual responsibility and pull yourself up by the bootstraps is. And, but I think it's a fundamental, I think in this case, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of the way our health insurance market is set up. Mm. And that's a 
topic, Ugh. a whole okay, other that'll topic. Be on the other one. We'll, we'll get back to that. We'll get back to that. Um, which is a lot bigger than all of this, where you can go into, um, you know, because even the more you try to assign blame, it it all, you know, misses the whole point that our that our system is fundamentally flawed. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and they're just you know making it worse. And they're making it harder for people. The The ultimate goal of work requirements are to kick people off coverage. That's the which, ultimate goal. Which these programs weren't set up to do that. They were set up so that more people could be insured when they were implemented. Yes. Yes. I do want to give a shout out to our coworker, Chris Coleman, for writing a lovely mm. policy brief mm. about work if requirements. If you need some late night reading. We will link it in the show notes. It is... Just delicious. And I would um, like to read the conclusion of his paper. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, Because I, been... I think this will be good. Okay. Let's right? do it. Yeah. The Trump administration's reversal of the longstanding federal policy against denying Medicaid to unemployed workers will hurt families. It will make it harder for unemployed workers to get the support they need to find jobs and will cause many eligible people to lose coverage due to increased bureaucracy and red tape. Instead of erecting new barriers to health care that will be costly to the state and ineffective at increasing employment, Tennessee policymakers should protect Tennessee's parents' access to the medical care they need to help them find and keep jobs. And I would add, take care of their children. Thank you, Anna. Thank you. Uh, little known fact about Chris. He is a wonderful, he, he writes these white papers for um, the, our organization that we work for, and they're just immaculate. Little known fact, he actually performed at the Christmas party as we didn't realize that he had a history as a male model. And wow, we were totally unprepared for the force that was Chris Coleman at the Christmas party. I would like to add former teen model. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But I mean, he was he wasn't very rusty, was he? No, you, those yeah. moves, he, I don't know if he was saving that for an opportune moment or he has been practicing at home. Who knows? But went well with his um, Middle English Canterbury Tales <laughs> recitation at the beginning of the night. Okay. Nice compliment. Just, for those of you who don't work with us, it's a little, we're, we're very quirky. And we got, Anna and I are on the party planning committee, so um, the sunshine committee, as it's called, because we are rays of sunshine at the office, as they like to call as they like to <laughs> I'm call sure us. they all think that. <laughs> um, and so we planned the Christmas party, and um, there was a whole program, and Anna created it. It was beautiful. Chris Coleman recited the Canterbury Tales. I got really emotional and started crying, thanking everyone for a great year. Yeah, karaoke. And, and then mean, karaoke. Another coworker, she performed one of her Korean pop songs. Wow. The level of vocal performance was so high. I mean, it's Nashville, right? <laughs> <laughs> Are you surprised? Yes. I mean, I, no, it was impressive. It was. We need to start a show choir. No, that idea. No one picked it up. No one was thrilled about it. But I'm. I'm gonna start pushing it. I'd be. The, I'd be the manager. I can do that. I can book you guys. Oh, my God. All right, stay tuned. So this will be the podcast, but also we'll have um, a side podcast when the show choir gets started. There's another party coming down the pipeline. So the Sunshine Committee met, and it was decided that the party would be themed because we wanted to celebrate January and February birthdays. And, of course, you know, 
what is a party if it's not themed, as exactly. Aristotle said. So um, we sat down and it was a hard sell, but I basically got them to decide or I convinced them that we should do the newlyweds. Well, shout out to the TJC intern who, who it wasn't me who came up with the name. And I would just like okay. to say I need to give credit where credit is due because I am not very good at that. So the in, the intern, as I call her, her name's Brianna. Side note, when the interns from Vanderbilt were with us this summer, I became a horrific stage mom during a press conference, <laughs> and I threw signs at them and told them to get behind the veterans, uh, Kelly Gregory, and 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 I was like, I was like, interns, left, stage right, stage right, Bro, hold up your sign, hold up your sign, and it was like 95 degrees outside. I mean, you could just <laughs> see the sweat everywhere, and I'm yelling at them like a crazed stage mom, or dance moms, you know, one of the characters from Dance Moms. Anyways. They have names, and I realize that now because I saw her yesterday, and she said, you know, it's an inside joke that the interns, you, we call each other interns because you never called us by our names. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot this summer. There was a lot this summer. Okay. Anyway, so Brianna came up with the name The Newly Desks, and so instead of The Newlyweds, man, I could just go on. Anna and I haven't seen each other in a while, and this pod is a time to catch up, and these are conversations that we would have normally, and now we're just recording them, and you guys... Apparently really like them. So, well, okay, I'll just... Well. <laughs> so every um, episode, dish up some grits gratitude, because in the South, we are a very grateful bunch, and I think counting your blessings is a phrase that you hear all the time, and we love counting our blessings, but for me, it's, you know, just being grateful is the, the spice of life. So I have a lot of shout-outs, and like I said, I was very... Very aggressive with the shout-outs this week. So, one, we received some fan mail, Anna. Yay! Pug dance! Pug dance! So, thank you to my mom, <laughs> who sent us a beautiful coffee table book about the South, and she wrapped it with crown wrapping paper and a little pineapple tassel on the side and got us this beautiful pineapple card. And she, so shout out to my family. They're like big fans of the pod. And one day when we blow up and I'm chilling with Elizabeth Warren and Cabo, it's going to be like... I'm going to look back at that and say, thanks, mom. Like, thanks for believing me. Second shout out, um, a friend in Austin, Andrew Adams, sent me a stamped uh, card with a pineapple on it and did a little trivia inside the card. I haven't even showed you yet, but yeah, my roommate flew into my room with the card. She opened my mail. No, uh, I think that's, that's illegal, right? Technically, but, okay, but I'm, no I'm hard feelings. I'm going to let it slide. I'm going to let it slide. Um, ran into my room and she's like, She's like, oh, my God, did you get stamps already for grits? And I was like, what are you talking about? And she throws the card up in my face. And lo and behold, it was a, 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 a stamp of a pineapple. So thank you, Andrew Adams. That was very thoughtful. We're very grateful. All right. And here comes, like, the sauciest sauce of gratitude that I have this week. Um, I'm not trying to cry on the pod yet. Is that a second pod? Is that a third pod? Whenever Moment? you want it to be. Okay, well, I'm just going to let the floodgates this go. This is an intimate... Ugh, intimate intimate moment we're having here in Anna's closet. Not... <laughs> <laughs> Not that. Uh, okay, uh. all right, podcast turns... No, just kidding. Um, podcast after dark. Podcast after... Grits after dark. <laughs> grits after dark. I love it. All right, so tune in. Grits after dark. Like, it's a la la. And we'll have you guys call in and we'll just, uh, we'll play some songs. It'll be the DJ set. 
Yeah. Okay. I'm just thinking out loud. Anyways. So I've said this, you know, this has been a year of growth for me and, um, I am just blessed to be around a lot of women and it's been so evident that older women in the world and older, as in I'm saying older than myself, 28, carry a lot of wisdom and in them. And I'm just so grateful and particular women that have run for office or that have made this state more progressive facing the largest barriers you could imagine. And the, you know, just, I mean, I mean, I hate to drop the word patriarchy on the pod already. I mean, we're not even like to podcast, you know, episode number four, but I mean, imagine, you know, like Pam Weston, Gloria Johnson, Linda Sherrill, Sharon Edwards, all of these women have run for office and they have run for office in some of the reddest pockets of the country. And it's just, it's, it's so inspiring to me. And I'm just, and I, and I'm just so grateful that they have put in the work and the blood and the sweat and the tears to make things better for women like you and myself in the South. Mm -hmm. And I just, I'm just so grateful for all of you. And I, and I, um, so if you're listening to the pod, really appreciate all of you. And, um, you know, this is in honor of you. For me, this, this practice, this grits podcast political practice is an honor of Southern women who have had to fight to make the South a progressive and, and beautiful place for families and kids mm-hmm. as the pl- throw some children on it. Side <laughs> note. Okay. That's a whole other story for another pod. Um, <laughs> make it a better yeah, place. Yeah. That's really touching. And we could not do what we're doing or even think that we could do what we're doing without, um, the, the trailblazers that came <sighs> before us and are still doing the work. Right. Um, yeah, that's a really good point. So what are you grateful for this week, Anna? So I want to preface this by letting y'all know two things about me mm-hmm. that I feel like are really important to share. Okay. All right. One is that I read insane amounts <laughs> in a way that's like not healthy and I don't actually even retain it, but I just read constantly. I'm a, I'm really big on the inputs. It's a New Year's resolution that I'm going to be more on the outputs, but that's another, that's another <laughs> conversation. I um, love that. But Anna, Anna Walton, colon, big on inputs, not so much on outputs. Yes. I love it. Yes. Okay. So I consume hundreds of podcasts a week on two times speed, not even listening to okay, them. Okay. Just for those of you who don't know, Anna, you walk up to her desk and it sounds like she is listening to someone speaking in tongues. No, it's actually a podcast. That is going so fast. I literally have to catch my breath. Sometimes it's just striking how quick. Anyways, so she consumes. And then, and she, then I'm reading while I'm listening to the podcast. And, and then reading. I read when I get home. Like, Hold on, stop. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> she is reading while she is listening to the podcast. That is going twice the rate. Of, <laughs> I can't. Like, I can't. It's unhealthy. And I don't listen to a lot of news, mm-hmm. um, a lot of cable news or anything like that. And I haven't had cable since I was in high school. So... I don't know how to pronounce anything, so I mispronounce a lot of things, pretty much constantly. Okay, but no, okay. No, I really do. Like it's a, like it's more of an issue. I've never heard you mispronounce a, an important word. The only the only words you mispronounce are like Tennessee Cherokee names, which is like <laughs> totally valid. Like what was the one you said? 
We don't have to talk I about it. it. <laughs> but yes, I get I get words wrong a lot at work. And also growing up in Louisiana, we pronounce things really, 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 really weird. So yeah, I mess things up. But like I've been reading Harry Potter aloud to my boyfriend. This is sharing way too much information. No, but I love but it. But I am constantly asking him, like, is that how you say it? Or is it this? Is that how you say it? <laughs> anyway, so I will mispronounce things a lot on, on the, the podcast. And the second point I wanted to make is that I'm a Washington Post junkie tried and true I have received the Washington Post in my inbox every single day since I was 11 years old I didn't know that about you yes yeah I met a Washington Post reporter I bet two actually now and I teared up both times I have issues I don't know why but I'm obsessed with the Washington Post (laughs) PSA you this podcast is being brought to you by two nerds who went to space camp and cried at a health policy conference and Anna's uh <laughs> on that note I wanted to share a really really okay, really right. inspiring no, really, quote okay so this is the first time Anna's been talking about this quote all day and that this is this is what she's grateful for. So it's a very sentimental moment. So if everyone in the pod can just take a moment, close your eyes, not if you're driving, but just appreciate what she's about to say. Okay. Okay. This is credited to Elizabeth Brunig. I probably pronounced that wrong. Here it goes. (laughs) (laughs) Welfare isn't charity, but when we're making policy on how to help people, we would do well to maintain a charitable frame of mind to remember that helping is hard and that it is good. That what someone needs ought to be considered before and above what we think they deserve. That if people can't destroy their own human dignity, even with self-destructive acts, then it follows we should never fail to recognize that dignity in our laws and social programs. And that is why I do the work that I do. Wow. That was really... You're tearing up. Come here. Can we get a hug? <laughs> oh, Anna, that was beautiful. That's why we do, we do what we do. Mm-hmm. Man. It has been quite the pod tonight. As always, um, I love talking to Anna because I learn so much. And I think that's what we, what I wanted to give the people who listen to the pod. I've just become a better person by being friends with Anna because she teaches me every single moment we communicate with one another. And if I can do anything in my life, it's to share people's goodness with the world. So yeah, I'm grateful for you too. I'm grateful for you. I would not be doing this without Afton. I'm very, very shy. Um, And this is really giving me confidence and getting me out of my shell. And I can rant (laughs) with the best of them. She's really great. But it's usually private. So now now you're welcome. (laughs) This is all things to Afton. Now we're broadcasting the rant. So you guys, when, when they start paying us the big bucks and it's just, you know. No, they'll never. <laughs> no, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> we don't need big bucks, you know. We yeah, just need. We've got heart. We've got heart and grit. We just needed a few grits. We just need some grit dishes at Cracker Barrel. Take us out to Cracker Barrel. Yeah, we accept free us, meals. What's the country? The country breakfast. The all star breakfast. Country sampler. Oh, is that what you're talking yes! about? Yes. <laughs> the all stars at Waffle House. Oh my God! If you're from the South, you understand this. This is. It is an internal battle you fight every day for breakfast. Cracker Barrel or Waffle House. I mean, truly. True. Well, the ki- so Anna has these two large tabbies, and they are clawing at the closet. They probably... What are their names again? Toby? Winston and Toby. How did you come up with those? So Winston is based on Winston Bishop in New Girl, um, oh, okay. because he's a weirdo, but lovable. 
And Toby is Tobias, um, as in Tobias from Arrested Development, no. the Never Nude. That speaks for itself. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my cats. We will post some pictures of them, so you can also yeah. write fan mail to the Tabbies. Mm-hmm. So they can be our little mascots. They love salmon. Oh, okay. And pickles. <laughs> Don't How ask do questions. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, thanks for listening to us. Um, do you want to do your social media push? Yes. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Grits Podcast. And uh, like us on Facebook yes. at Grits Podcast. And join the Griddles. And join the Griddles or send us grits. No, don't send us grits. No. Take us out to Cracker Barrel. Dry grits. That's fine. Yeah. Dry. They're in a package. That's <laughs> right. Do not. If you send us a box of dry grits, I will. I will unsubscribe <laughs> you from this podcast. No, I'm just kidding. No, we need all the help we can. Oh, get. and uh, rate us in iTunes and oh. leave reviews. Yeah, please. And the three star, we're gonna let that go. We'll just, you know. Yeah. We heard you. We got you. Obviously, we don't take criticism oh, personally <laughs> at all. Obviously, I was able to brush it off and move on with my life. Obviously. <laughs> Okay. Until next time. All right. We love you guys. Keep it gritty. Keep it gritty. Bye.